Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Just imagine him standing high above the city of Jerusalem, about 800 metres above sea level, on the Mount of Olives. The city is absolutely buzzing with people, more than the average day as the families were gathering for Passover, the big celebration. But also there are crowds on the outskirts, crowds of people who have been watching Jesus' journey for a long time now as he travelled around the towns and quiet roads, teaching, healing, performing miracles. The curiosity was at its peak and everyone was chomping at the bit to witness his next move. It's time to make the descent into the city, the gravelly dirt road under the sandaled feet, not a casual stroll by any means. Perhaps a donkey will help lighten the physical load. But there's another weight in this journey. This isn't any journey into a town centre. This is the entry, the triumphal entry of a king. The entry that he'd been preparing for from the very beginning. He was born for this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. But now the word had become flesh and this was the moment. Jesus knew that he was walking or riding to his earthly death. We read in scripture that the Mount of Olives had been his place for prayer, his place for solitude and his place for closer encounter with God. But now he rides into the eye of the storm, the hustle and bustle of a town filled with opponents, skeptics and captors, all whom, strangely enough, he loved with his whole being. But as he enters the city quietly and insignificantly on a donkey, disciples in tow, there'd be nothing much to think of such an entry except for the droves of commoners, outsiders even, who were following him in. Crowds of people, not usually too welcome in the town centre perhaps. Crowds of people making quite a commotion. The sense of anticipation and excitement must have been palpable surrounding Jesus on all sides with little concern for potential danger. The opponents, the sceptics, the captors. Surely these crowds are aware that the religious leaders consider him to be public enemy number one and chief nemesis to their survival. 
Yet the noise level intensifies as they approach the city gates. Their shouts increase in volume as they echo through the mountainous region. Hosanna, meaning save us. This undecorated man riding into town on a donkey was their newfound glimmer of hope in a desperate world of suffering, exclusion and fear. Now on the other side of town, there was another entry happening. From the west approaches the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Pilate enters the city on a war horse at the head of an imperial cavalry and lines of soldiers. His entrance is decorated and expected and powerfully executed. The people witnessing the entrance bow down in respect of Pilate's authority and political power. Pilate's purpose, travelling from Caesarea Maritima, to maintain the law and order during the potentially tumultuous days of the Passover festivities. It seems the authorities believed they needed to call in a rather hefty reinforcement here. Perhaps they sensed there was something bubbling under the surface. So here we have two triumphal entries into a busy town centre of Jerusalem. We could write this event off as a clash of scheduled events or simply a mere coincidence. But I propose that these two contradictory entrances and everything that they represent is a message that we need to take notice of. You see, these two processions represent two very different sides. First, you have Pontius Pilate carrying the powerful political authority coming to bring order and control over the town. The city folk, those who hold a certain social standing, are fearful of his leadership, of the whole Roman government's leadership, and therefore know it's in their best interest to follow his lead, respect his leadership, and follow the Roman laws and religious rules. And then you have Jesus, carrying no powerful political authority, but all of God's power and authority coming to bring peace and love and to reconcile all people to him. The outsiders, the commoners, they're hopeful for his leadership, of the God he represents, and therefore know it's in their best interest, despite the danger that it incurs, to listen to his word, take heed of his direction and follow him. Pilate is hated because he enforces Roman law and power which threatens the safety and social standing of the outsiders. And Jesus is hated because he threatens the security of the insiders under Roman authority. Are you getting the, the tension here? Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God and Pilate's proclaimed the power of empire. So this then becomes the peak of the conflict in the week leading to Jesus' death. The pressure cooker is loaded and ready to explode. Jerusalem may not be big enough for the both of them. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was like a counter procession into a city that was overflowing with pilgrims. There were potentially around 200,000 visitors in a town generally occupied by about 40,000 citizens. So then adding the crowds of Hosanna shouting hopefuls, the entire city was complete chaos. So why now? Why did Jesus choose such a time as this to enter the city of Jerusalem? We know that God does nothing by accident. Wouldn't it have been more spectacular if he waited for Pilate to get settled in first? Or better yet, get in there before Pilate even arrived? No, because Jesus had been working to, to this moment from the beginning of his ministry. 
Think about his target audiences as he went around his teachings, his miracles, his healings. Think about the 12 he chose as his disciples, those who had no thought that the Son of God would stop and consider them at all. Then there's the Roman powers that be, watching his every move, questioning him, the Pharisees turning up their noses at his radical ministry and trying to catch him out at every corner. Now he was drawing those same people into the one place. There is a communal emphasis in this coming that potentially calls the people to a communal faith or a conflict. There is a need to put your beliefs out on the table at this climax of confrontations in the holy city. These outsiders who have been courageous enough to take the trip have no idea what's going to happen. Imagine that. They are courageous in that it is just pure danger of conflict and bold testimony. But I think that's what this move calls for, an uncommon courage of common people who have experienced or at least witnessed a presence in their world so powerful, so compelling, a love so complete and inclusive that they couldn't help but cross the boundaries of religious and civil acceptability to make this journey with Jesus. Many of these people lived on the outskirts, outside of Jerusalem, and some even travelled from far away because finally they had a hope. It was unexplainable, but it was a hope for their future. They had experienced life on the outskirts, life under the control and exclusion of the Roman Empire and the strict laws of the religious leaders. They had prayed for the Messiah for their entire lives to free them from these chains of second-class citizenship. And now this man of wonder was riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, just like the prophets said. In Zechariah 9, it said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. At this point, surely there's no way that this Jesus isn't the Messiah that they've been waiting for. So they continue to shout out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You can almost feel the intensity increase as the crowds come to the realisation that prophecy becomes reality right in front of their eyes. In desperation and undeniable excitement, they laid down their garments. They stripped them from their own backs. They pulled palm branches from nearby trees and laid them down at the pathway ahead of Jesus, publicly declaring their faith for their new king. What a vision it would have been to see these crowds desperate to claim their place as a believer of this Messiah, Son of God. Not only had Jesus gained crowds of followers, he was bringing them into another crowd of witnesses, the hardest hearts of all. A challenge for the crowd of witnesses and a challenge for the rigid onlookers. Wow. Here goes Jesus again, fulfilling the plan from the beginning, the prophecies, the answered prayers, and his usual nature of coming in spirit and in truth, and with the intention of reconciliation for all. On a lowly donkey, no bells and whistles, no weapons, no force, but with all the boldness and authority of a true king. I'd like to think I would have been one of the pilgrims that laid my garment down at the feet of Jesus in that scene. Although, of course, 
that would mean I probably would have to have been one of the outsiders. That's a tough one. One of those who understood that without Jesus, I had next to nothing. But isn't that kind of what is required of us now? As we reflect on the story of Palm Sunday, an extremely visual display of contradiction and witness, we see an example of our own context in the here and now. In a world post-resurrection, where we already know how this story in history turns out, but it's still so full of conflict. Jesus is asking us to follow him as we recognise our own limitations and need for a saviour. As a human race of brokenness and sin, we can still witness the wonder, mystery and hope of Jesus in our midst. We can still see his work in our lives, we can still learn from the scriptures and we can still be touched by the Holy Spirit. We can still believe in a different story for ourselves and the ones we love around us. But the question is, are we like the pilgrims? Are we travellers willing to move from wherever we are in life to stop whatever we're doing, to follow Jesus, to proclaim Hosanna to the King of Kings and to lay our garments before him? We've learnt before about the requirements of relationship and belief. We know that both require active participation. Both require an action of the heart. To understand our depravity, that is our emptiness and need for a perfect saviour, we must then know that without Jesus we have nothing. And then in knowing this, are we not compelled, in fact desperate, to declare Jesus as the king of our hearts, both privately and publicly? In fact, if there are witnesses, all the better. Why is it that we as Christ followers find it so hard to boldly admit our faith to others? Why is it that after all this truth and undeniable proof of a living God and an ultimate sacrificial saviour, do we still struggle to place Jesus at the centre? Why are our material possessions, our reputations, our time too good to let go of for the sake of our relationship with Jesus? If we are lacklustre or ashamed of our relationship with Jesus, then what does that look like to those who don't even know about him yet? Like suppose I offered you a nice big piece of chocolate cake right now, but as I show it to you, I say, oh, you can have it if you want, it's all right, I guess. Just how inspired are you to taste it? A little bit, maybe. But compared to if I said, oh, you have to try this cake. It's the most incredible cake I've ever had. In fact, it's changed my life forever. I think you're going to be more compelled to try the cake. But unlike chocolate cake, there's not always guaranteed to knock your socks off with how incredible life-changing it is. It's different with Jesus. Once you've encountered, I mean truly encountered him, it is undeniable. Your life is never the same and you'll want others to know about him too. I wonder if we're living in this less than ecstatic state of witness, if we have actually fully grasped this Jesus and encountered his presence in our hearts at all. I want to be one of the Palm Sunday pilgrims. I want to walk the miles, do the work, step into the danger zone even, and lay my garment down for the King of Kings.
Actually, I fear as I reflect on this story that I could possibly identify with one of the city folk who didn't perceive much need for a saviour, a law-abiding citizen, happy to contribute and relax in a social standing, never truly understanding what it would be like to live on the outskirts. It's probably a very Western world out here. Never game enough to push against the powers that control my life. What if I was busy going about my Passover plans with the family that I never even witnessed the triumphal entry of the real King Jesus? Or worse even, what if I was over on the west side cheering for Pilate, essentially putting all my faith and trust in earthly power? I think we need to recognise who we are in this Palm Sunday story. Are we standing to attention at the royal ticker tape parade for Pilate? desperate to find our social standings in this world? Are we too busy with our own plans that we're oblivious to anything but hap- that's happening around us, therefore just sitting on the proverbial fe- fence of indifference? Or are we acknowledging the undeniable truth of Jesus Messiah, who comes to reconcile all people to himself, and therefore ready to lay your garments down for a king? We're about to step into Holy Week, the time of year we stop and sit in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus and his victory over sin for our sake. Next weekend, we will once again acknowledge the ultimate story of Jesus who chose you and me and invites us into a transforming relationship with him. This Jesus who entered into Jerusalem one last time to pay the ultimate price so that we may be washed clean. So today as we prepare for the Easter journey once again, I want to ask you if you're willing to step forward and lay your garments down at the feet of Jesus. To say that we're ready for you to save us once again. Hosanna, King of Kings. So I'm going to invite you to make this declaration today here in this space as a representation of our readiness to receive Jesus as the King of our hearts once again. You'll notice as the song plays that it it says, Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. He is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Because he is good. Let the king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, that echoes of my days he's never going to let us down and I pray that this is your prayer this morning so when the music starts I invite you to take a garment and come and lay it on the ground if you're able to let's make a pathway for Jesus as we prepare for next week